Hello, everybody. I'm Peter Giuliano, SEA's Chief Research Officer, and you're listening to the RICO Podcast, a special episode of the SEA Podcast. The RICO Podcast is dedicated to new thinking, discussion, and leadership in specialty coffee, featuring talks, discussions, and interviews from the RICO Symposium, SEA's premier event dedicated to amplifying the voices of those who are driving specialty coffee forward. Check out the show notes for links to our YouTube channel where you can find videos of these talks. This episode of the RICO Podcast is supported by Toddy. For over 50 years, Toddy brand cold brew systems have delighted baristas, food critics, and regular folks alike. By extracting all the natural and delicious flavors of coffee and tea, Toddy cold brew systems turn your favorite coffee beans and tea leaves into fresh cold brew concentrates that are ready to serve and enjoy. Learn more about Toddy at toddycafe.com. Toddy, cold brewed, simply better. Today, we're very happy to present the third and final episode of The State and Future of the Business of Coffee, a session recorded at RICO Symposium this past April. This session gathered business leaders in specialty coffee to discuss the ways that specialty coffee trade has changed in the past decade, the challenges businesses face today, and how we might prepare for the future. If you haven't yet listened to episodes number 36 and 37, we strongly recommend going back to listen to it before you continue with the episode. On this episode of the RICO Podcast, we are pleased to welcome the second panel hosted as a part of the State and Future of the Business of Coffee session at RICO last April. Isabella Raposieras, roaster, founder, and owner of Coffee Lab, Ian Williams, owner of Deadstock Coffee, Pamela Chang, founder of Better Barista, and Nicholas Cho, co-founder and head barista at Wrecking Ball Coffee Roasters. In the final panel of the 2018 RICO Symposium in April, Nick Cho asks the question, how do we respond to the challenges that were identified during RICO this year? To find some possible answers, he leads a discussion between three founders of solutions-oriented businesses as they explore the approaches that they're using to push specialty coffee forward. Also, to help you follow along with this podcast, I'll chime in occasionally to help you visualize what you can't see. Take it away, Nick. So I had the privilege of attending the very first RICO Symposium 10 years ago, or nine years ago, I guess it was, and I've been to a number of them since. And one special one was in 2011, which was in Houston, Texas. Uh, I was commissioned by Symposium to produce some video content that would be sort of entertaining and a little bit informative that we'd show during Symposium. And little did I or anyone else know at the time, but how much trouble that little video would cause. Some of you have seen it, but I went to the iconic Ferry Building in San Francisco, and I grabbed a bunch of random passers-by, and I asked them a few questions about their coffee consumption. What do you like about coffee? What don't you like about coffee? And things like that. What makes for a good coffee experience or a bad one? One question that turned out to be a big bummer for a lot of us was the question, what does specialty coffee mean? What does that term mean? What does that thing mean? People on the street, they had absolutely no idea No one was even close. That inspired a lot of work and research that has become a lot of the content for symposias ever since then. Consumer research by Tracy Ging and Heather Ward in particular. Pretty much every year since then, there's been some content that was sort of descended from that original video. Which made me wonder, what about today? It's been seven years, and we're, this being the 10th uh, Rico X, 
it's good to look back and reconsider certain things. So what if we went back to the same place, Ferry Building in San Francisco, and did the exact same thing? We grabbed people randomly, completely randomly, and asked them the same question, what does specialty coffee mean? What would they say today? It's been seven years. Would they say anything different? Let's find out. Let's revisit people asking that question in 2011, these folks and other folks included, and then we'll watch people ask, uh, answering it today and see if we've made any progress or if it's gotten worse, if it could get worse. At the end, if you think we've made progress, I'd like you to clap really loud, okay? So let's watch the video. Up on the screen is a question. What does specialty coffee mean? So this is the one from seven years ago. Yeah, but I don't really know what that means exactly. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. To me, it kind of means like a frappuccino kind of concoction or something that isn't really kind of coffee-ish. Maybe from a, a specific uh, place in the country or the world, like a coffee from like Holland or Denmark. I think for me, that's probably non-brand coffee. So um, sort of individual coffee houses making their own brands of coffee, own styles. And work. I quite, yeah, we've got quite a bit of that in London. Although you've got to you've got to root around f finding it. Maybe special beans. I don't know. Some. I would think that, or does it refer to lattes and coffee drinks? I don't know. Special brew. I was gonna say maybe different kinds of blends of coffees from around the world. Uh, I think it's a marketing term. I'm really sure what it means. It's, uh, it means whatever the who's ever selling the coffee. It's, uh... I somebody just told me. They, I asked them to describe it. They said there's some kind of coffee that animals digest the beans and it comes out in their, and then they roast the beans and it has a, a flavor that's to die for or to die from. I don't know, but it's an interesting. Would that be a specialty coffee? Seven years later. Specialty coffee, like a really good blend, like something that has like really good like nutty earth tone blend, and that's a good specialty. Uh, expensive. <laughs> yeah. Specialty means expensive. Uh, it has like a unique flavor. I don't know. To me, it's a little more sophisticated. I don't care for it. Oh, good question. Um... I don't, I guess the way I think of it is that it's normally like single sourced, yeah. Um, more like expensive, premium, finer roasted. <laughs> Specialty coffee I think it's just more, for me, it just seems like something that's not, you know, through, available like through the chain. I have no idea. <laughs> I just make myself coffee. For me, specialty coffee would be uh, low production, small farm, um, more hands-on approach, less commercialized, organic would be preferred, biodynamic. What do you think, better? I mean, I thought it was a big improvement. You know, I think that the worst answer they gave this year was better than the best answer from seven years ago. And, and we still have obviously a lot of work to do. But one more big round of applause. This is us, this is our industry.
We're gonna be hearing from some more folks from the Ferry Building in a few minutes in another video. But in the meantime, as we shift focus from what's been happening in the past and what's happening today to the future of coffee business in the US and around the world, let's delve into the science of demographics and lay that information on top of what we're seeing in specialty coffee consumer behavior today. Some of the people, uh, the adults in the first video, were actually the parents of some of those kids. I wish I could tell you which ones, but um, let's see, where are we? So I did want to be, before we moved on, share the results of our poll real quick, and you can actually see it on your app. But before we had a discussion, 46% uh, of you said that yes, we're in a specialty coffee roaster bubble. 49% said no, 4% undecided. And afterwards, 33% said, yes, we are. So that's 13% less. Um, and 61% said, no, a gain of 12%. And so, yeah, it kind of shifted a little bit from the discussion. Again, encouraged to have that be an ongoing discussion for everyone. And now we've spent a bit of time talking about market conditions from our point of view as specialty coffee businesses and spending some time really getting into the minds of younger and future uh, consumer base. I wanted to close out this session and the onstage portion of this RICO this year with a roundtable discussion with three of the most inspiring and interesting people I know in our coffee industry. We like to know about how we want to think outside the box, but so often we get stuck asking ourselves and each other, like, what can we do something fresh and new? We talked about it during the debate some. How do we respond to the challenges uh, that we've heard over the past couple of days, especially yesterday? How can our businesses address equality and equity issues, especially for our customers? What realms of creativity have we not yet tapped into to expand our consumer base? How can our businesses maximize social impact beyond our rhetoric about helping coffee producers and their communities? And how can we grow businesses in light of increasing pressures that we've been, again, talking about a lot and the challenges that are seemingly, clo seemingly closing in all around us? Well, at this time, I'd like to welcome to the Rico stage, three friends of mine, Ian Williams from Deadstock Coffee in Portland, Oregon, Pam Chung from Better Barista in Singapore, and Isabella Raposeras from Coffee Lab in Sao Paulo, Brazil. A big round of applause for all of them. We're all friends, and uh, so I'm really excited to have everyone here. Thanks for coming out. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for coming out. So, Thank you. Um, each of them have cafes, each of them have businesses, they're in different places around the world. And so we did want to have an opportunity for you to be able to see what these places look like, and so we'll get to that in a bit. But uh, Ian, you just flew in from Japan? Tokyo, yeah. Yeah, Like yeah. Uh, Tuesday. On, on Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. yeah you okay? Oh, yeah, I'm cool, I'm cool. Thanks, thanks for coming out. Absolutely, man. Yeah. Thank, you. Thank you for having me. After talking to these ladies, uh, I feel real legit. Uh, if you guys don't know these ladies yet, you'll know them soon, and right. you're gonna feel real legit too. Yeah. So, yeah. so let's talk about Dead Stock. What's yeah. Dead Stock about? Uh, so Dead Stock Coffee, uh, we're a sneaker-themed coffee shop. Um, sneaker themed. Sneaker themed. Wait, let's yeah. do this real quick. So oh, what, yeah. what, do you, what do you got? Out. What do you got on your feet? Uh, so <laughs> because you, you take it off. Hey, yes, I do. Man, people gotta know. Uh, so. Uh, this is uh, Nike Vandal. Uh, it's a custom that we did. Uh, we served coffee at South by Southwest. Uh, Sprudge this year got to do the Roasters Village. Uh, this is the first time they've had a Roasters Village down there. Can I and, get a pair? Uh, no. 
we did uh, we did pairs for our employees who went down there. So not all of the, not all the guys who worked in the shop uh, got a pair, unfortunately, but also fortunately, because that's the cool thing about sneakers is that it's kind of exclusive. Yeah, I got my Jordan One. Chicago's on. Shout out. Thank you very Shout much. Shout out to the Bape hoodie thank, too. Thank you very much. So, uh, so dead stock. Yeah. So uh, Portland, uh, we're we're in Portland, Oregon, and Portland is the sneaker capital of the world. Uh, Nike, Adidas, Under Armour, Columbia, Keen, um, Mizuno, all the footwear companies and the companies that work with the footwear companies, all the Jordan ads and everything that you've seen over the years are pretty much all created in Portland. It's like the Silicon Valley of, yeah. of sneakers, yeah, of exactly. athletic footwear. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's seriously, uh, seriously. So uh, there are tons and tons of places for people to go and hang out, over 500 coffee shops in Portland, uh, but no place uh, where me or my friends felt comfortable hanging out um, to just talk about whatever. A lot of coffee shops have, you know, plain white walls and they're very clean and crispy and almost like, uh, like hands off, like white glove. Um, but that's not, that's not me. And that's not a lot of the people that I know. And not saying that that's a bad thing. I just wanted a place where I felt comfortable. So instead of complaining about it, I just created it. So all the sneaker homies, all the people who love sneakers, all the people who are interested in the sneaker industry uh, as a career or even just want to come and hang out. Uh, it's a very barbershop feel. Um, that's Dead Stock Coffee. Yeah, Did well, that explain I think, it? I don't know. You've been there. Well, I think it's a good, yeah. good time to go ahead and watch that video, Deadstock Coffee. Let's oh. check it out, and let's hear from some of your customers. You haven't seen this yet. I haven't. From some of his customers and friends. Yeah. Who, I, I asked them, went to Portland and asked them, like, why do you come here, and how's this place different from other coffee shops in Portland? Let's watch that. It's just like a dope community space. You know, you come in here, and everybody is very welcoming, and... Uh, loves to have loud conversations and talk about like the latest sneaker releases and whatever's going on in the sports world. Really like a place that I can come kick it and hang out and not necessarily have to just be in my headphones. You don't really think sports and coffee? So I was like, okay, well, okay, I don't quite get it. But once I walked in there, it made perfect sense. Deadstock couples the culture between uh, hip hop, basketball, and sneakers. And it's a place where I can talk about those things because I don't get that most of the time. It's a... Uh... The perfect mix of uh, kicks and coffee. Uh, saw it on Yelp. Uh, definitely into shoes, into fashion, into clothes, and it just seemed like a place I need to check out. Definitely. And I don't know. I think I'd come back again just because the attitude. Like, there's a really chill, calm, friendliness in there. And it's the only place where sneakerheads can really come and collaborate and talk, talk shop, and talk sneakers, and you know, get together and, and just chill and have a drink. Been a fan of sneakers since I was a kid. Then as I grew older, I started getting into coffee, tasting different coffee, and just, it's just amazing to have them both come together. It has that little something extra. It has that sense of community and togetherness that, although I feel like a lot of coffee shops try to strive for, they don't achieve because it's, you know, very, be respectful, be quiet, keep to yourself. We make really good coffee, who's next kind of thing. And here it's, it's so not like that. Although the coffee's still really good. Portland coffee shops generally, kind of snobby you know it's known this place is known to be a coffee city when you come here it's not like that uh, and even if it's your first time here or you've been coming here for years it's just they immediately just bring you into like every conversation that's going in here they want you to feel welcome and you know like it says it on the door it's like snob free coffee this is the place to be most of the coffee shops they're rooted in coffee coffee is coffee but we're grounded in footwear and sneakers so we're we come from diverse backgrounds 
It's locally owned. It's also black slash African-American owned, which, you know, is harder to find in a city that isn't necessarily so obviously diverse. Portland is known as a pretty white place. Um, and I grew up here in, in the neighborhoods where I grew up. That was pretty true. Um, but Deadstock's one of the least white places that I hang out. Um, and for me, that's an important part of being a part of this community. We live in Northwest and there's plenty of coffee shops there. Um, but they're white spaces and I'm very conscious of who I am as soon as I enter them and I don't feel like that here. It's from what I see, not just sneaker culture, but diversity. Like this is the one shop in Portland where I know it's going to be a good diverse mix of people and um, not being originally from Portland and being used to multicultural uh, situations and uh, spaces. This is, this is definitely one of those places where you feel good about being as a person of color. Uh, thank you. Those people, that was pretty cool. more than half of those folks were regulars. Mm. And at Deadstock, like, regular is not just like, oh, they come there all the time. Like, you know them, you talk to them. Like, you can name probably half the people uh, yeah. that, in that video. Yeah. But people like, I've seen a lot, except for the lady who was outside. Yeah, she said it was her first time. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I was really interested. As soon as she said, you know, this is my first time here, I'm like, well, okay, cool. Like, let's <laughs> yeah. find out about more about your experience. Um, so the, the video closed with talking about the idea of like white spaces and such, and we've talked about race, um, and somewhat we talked about uncomfortable conversations yesterday, and, but to some degree we're still dancing around the issues a little bit. So, and very often with folks, how do you take these ideas and actually integrate it into business? And so for you, being a black man mm. in Portland, I'm black. With, the, with the conditions, <laughs> that are exist in, in Portland. Yeah. I mean, you talked about it yourself. You said, you know, there's not a place that I felt comfortable with my friends. Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up, uh, I'm from Newport News, Virginia. Uh, shout out VA. Um, but, I was, but I grew up in Portland. I grew up in, actually in the suburbs. Uh, only black kid in the neighborhood. One time me and my friend Jason, we were riding scooters. Uh, the police stopped us and was like, Mr. Williams, what do you got going on tonight? And I was like, I don't know you, man. I never met him before. so. You know, stuff like that, those are all the things that, that stick with me or that stuck with me. As I got older and decided what I wanted to do in my life, I worked in the footwear industry for a while, I worked at Nike, um, and, but it was still always just that like, I'm this, this outside guy a little bit. And I've also kind of kept myself as that outside guy. Um, you know, not in a bad way, just like, hey, I'm a little bit different than y'all and that's cool. Right. Um, so, so just like realizing that at all times as I go through life or as I have been going through life, and, and using it you know, more as an opportunity to storytell or to illustrate or whatever fancy word you want to disrupt. Uh, I think I saw that in the last presentation. That's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to disrupt in 31. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I, it, it's really more just about doing dope stuff with my friends. You're my friend. We do dope stuff together. We did, and I've, I've hung you out at your shop. Yeah. yeah, we like sneakers. Right. So, so really just like finding that opportunity where where I fit, where we fit, whatever, you know? And, you know, that sort of, and in the video, it inadvertently, well, I don't want to say inadvertently, it actually does. It straight up, like, calls out a lot of the rest of the Portland coffee scene. Yeah. So let's unpack that a little bit. I mean, it's the classic story that we see in America over the past few decades, at least. You know, well-intentioned people, they're just doing their thing. They're not trying to exclude anyone but they're creating a space that ends up catering to a certain type of person and maybe doesn't make another person feel as comfortable. Those folks who mentioned race 
in that video, I just asked them, why do you come to Deadstock and, and how is this different from other places? And that was the thing that was right on the tip of the tips of their tongue. So in that way, like, I mean, how does that, how's that play into the scene in Portland for you? I, people are always like, man, you're a legend, you're a visionary, whatever, blah, blah, blah. You got I a just, lot of attention lo locally in Portland. Yeah, right? quite a bit. For, for whatever reason, uh, I'm black as a small business, as coffee. I was into sneakers. It's in Chinatown, which is an area that's kind of growing. Uh, they don't really want to give it money, but it's the last place to give money to for the city. Gentrifying a little Gentrifying, bit. Gentrifying, yeah. yeah. And so I was trying to be nice. but uh, I'm not. But thank you. Um, <laughs> but I, I just always tell people, I just do what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, I'm not, I'm not doing anything special. I'm just... I'm just here, you know? And, and so whatever opportunities, whatever interviews, whatever, you know, this is a great opportunity uh, on a pretty serious stage, literally. You know, uh, I, just, I just do what I'm supposed to be doing, man. I'm just here. Cool. You know? we'll, we'll unpack this more, yeah. but uh, in this, at this moment, we're gonna move on to Pam. Hi, Pam. Hi. Good so to Pam. see you. Good to see you. So Pam came from Singapore. Thanks for having me here. Yeah. 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 Better Barista is the yes. name of your, like better, but Minus the E, the second E. Yeah. Just for trademark purposes, right? Oh no, just not enough coffee. You couldn't spell properly. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about Better Barista. Um, yeah, so we're a social business um, using coffee as our vehicle to change lives. So in Singapore, we have a professional coffee academy. We have a roastery. Uh, we've got a mobile events business and we've got five uh, retail coffee bars. And the whole idea is we're trying to use the entire value chain of coffee to impact people and to change lives. Um, and we work with marginalized communities like women, youth at risk, people with mental health issues, uh, special needs, um, to basically give them the skills and the tools to lift themselves out of whatever situations they're in. And coffee as that stepping stone, that journey and that destination uh, for them to create a better life. So we're using the business of coffee uh, to really try and do good, right? Um, yeah. There's an online company called Soul Pancake that produced a video about Better Barista. We thought it was a great way to introduce Better Barista to you and to, for us to be able to visit via video. So let's play that one. This is Pamela Chang speaking. There's a huge inequality that's building up in Singapore. You don't see it, but it's there. About to speak is Anita Sadasvian, Better Barista's emotional trainer. That's the reason why Better Barista exists. Our role is to work with the marginalized community and give them the skill set so that they can find a job and become self-sufficient. Coffee is our way of doing it. About to speak is Tania Chu, marketing communications for Better Barista. Better Barista is a professional coffee academy. And what that means is running professional coffee education courses. And then we retail and wholesale beans, machines, and coffee accessories. Most of our participants have sixth grade education. So it's very difficult to find a job that has any form of career progression. We believe in people's potential. No matter where you come from, what you've done, you have that ability to be more. And I think when you put expectations on people, I think it's inherent in human nature to want to live up to that expectation. The narrative in their head changes because, look, there's somebody else out there who thinks I can do this, who believes in me. So why am I not believing in myself? About to speak is Shirley Ang, a Better Barista graduate. 
Um, I'm a single parent with two kids. I had my first job when I was really young, 15. Uh -huh. And then, you know, you go through a lot of family issues, divorce and stuff like that. After I came in, one week, I keep asking myself, why am I doing here? Because I don't love coffee. And then I actually realised what Better Barista does, helping marginalised women, new fatries and people like me. So I thought, since people are helping me, why not give myself a chance? So I take on a course and be my 100%. Actually more than that, just because somebody is giving me a chance to change my life. For a long time, I was struggling also with self-confidence and self-belief. Actually very similar to a lot of what our students go through. We're no different. There's that self-doubt and that self-questioning all the time, but the only thing that's stopping you is yourself. I give them tough love, you know, because at the end of the day, it's a discipline uh, to, to expect more from yourself, right? And to believe that you can do better without beating yourself up. That's the challenge. It's to be kind and forgiving to yourself and yet expect more. She has high expectation of every individual. So every time, if I'm unhappy and really want to walk away, there's only one thing in my head. That's pen face. Really, I swear. Every time I feel like quitting, her face will appear and tell me no. I think she's my, my, my real power to keep me going. We act and behave just like any commercial business. We expect nothing less from ourselves because in order to compete in the marketplace, you have to deliver exceptional product and services that a customer is willing to pay you money for. We do focus very much on creating depth of impact rather than breadth and scale. But I used to stress about it all the time at the beginning because people go, what? You've only had 20 students through all that time and energy and money for 20 people. Is it worth it? That's not sustainable. I think we've just become comfortable with the fact that no, we are on the right track, we are doing things that are making a difference. Better Barista is not just a school or a social enterprise, they don't stop there. They're like, more like my family. Being able to come to work every day, smile your way to work, I think that's the greatest gift ever. We're in the business of trying to help people. That is a long process and it requires time. But the whole idea is if we can change one person's life, they have the potential to change the lives of everybody around them and their children and their community. Eventually, we hope that they become change makers themselves. I'd like to think we're helping to create people who will help other people. Um, I'm constantly blown away by you, Pam, and the work that Better Breeze does. So, you watch a video like that, it's like, oh, okay, cool. Like, it's a romanticized version of a thing. It can't actually be like that, like, so great. It's absolutely like that over there. And then you might think, the cynical, if you're a cynic like me, like, okay, that's all really cute and nice and really important stuff. Yeah. But you can't possibly be making good coffee. You can't actually be like, you know, on the cusp in that way, like a, like a leading edge coffee company in Singapore. It is absolutely top notch, a world class operation. Um, my wife Trish uh, has been there a couple times teaching cute greater classes. And I had the opportunity to visit in November. And Trish and I looked at each other and said, 
This might be the best coffee education facility in the entire world. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely. <clears throat> so that all said, Pam, why did you do this? <laughs> yeah, I, I keep saying it's just moments of insanity, I think. Um, no, I, I think really it's just the idea that business is such a powerful tool, right? And I, we've been talking about the business of coffee for the past couple of days. And the question really is, what can we do with this business that we have in our hands, right? Um, of course, we have to talk about profitability and sustainability, um, but at the end of the day, we're a business about people, right? And if we're not doing what we can to help make our people better, to help them fulfill their potential, then we have no business on our hands, right? So I think that um, if every one of us could use this tool of business that we have and create a kind of positive impact and create value in everything that we do, then we have opportunities to really start to address the problems that we've been hearing, right? The past 48 hours, a lot of problems, a lot of issues, but if the 300 of us in this room, right, take just that one action every day and say, what can I do to create value today? In 365 days, in a year, when we all come back and have this conversation again, that's over 100,000 opportunities to create value. That's a lot of value, and that's a lot of solutions. So to me, I think, um, I love the coffee industry because we have this ability to cut across so many economies, sectors, people, cultures, and to say, we can help a farmer in Colombia do this, and we can help a single mother in Portland, wherever, right? All, all of this is through coffee. So it, it's, it's an amazing thing. Pam, taking us to church. <laughs> um, it, it's, well, the, th the last thing that you said really strikes me. So, and one of the reasons that I wanted to share Better Brisa's story and, and invite you out to the, to the Rico stage was to um, kind of highlight the idea that, as especially the coffee industry, we're really used to doing good works to help people. Like, we do that every day to help farmers and producers through everyone. You hear baristas talk about it, you hear barista competitors talk about it. Like, that's the business that we say we're in, we want to be in, we wish we were in. Yeah. You know, there's different sort of versions of that that are the truth. Yeah. But that wasn't good enough for you. Mm. Like, what was it, I mean, Singapore is different than the United States. Yep. And I'm interested in sort of your reflections on what you've heard over the past couple of days. We'll yep. get to that later. But like, what was, what was going on in Singapore? What was going on around you that made you make that a priority, the work that you do? I, I think it's just, and I think this is a, maybe a developed country issue, right? The idea of inequality, right? There are people who are um, benefiting a lot from the economic structures and systems that we have in place, and then there are those who are falling through the cracks. So if we don't address all of the people that are falling through the cracks, we're gonna get into a situation where there's gonna be growing unrest, growing inequality. Um, so it is a very pertinent uh, question that we need to answer, right? Um, what are we gonna do about the growing inequalities in our societies? Um, so it's inequality specifically yes. that you really want to address. Yes, mm. yes, and coffee is just the vehicle to do it because yeah. coffee is a universal language. People understand what it is, right? And we can have conversations about these very serious issues over a cup of coffee. 
right? And and when we when we engage with the consumers, uh, it gives us an opportunity also to talk about conscious consumption and all these things that are important in a very non-threatening um, social kind of way, right? Which 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 is what we do on a, on an everyday basis. Right. Yeah. Cool. Well, we'll talk some more, and then we're going to move down to Isabella. Hi, Isabella. Hi. Thanks Thank for you. coming. Thank you so much. It's an honor. You've been in this audience a bunch of times. Yes. What's Even it feel like to be up here now? <laughs> nerve-wracking. Yeah? It is. You're supposed yeah. to be here. It's not nerve-wracking. <laughs> so, so Coffee Lab, a little bit short history. So when did you start? Coffee Lab was almost 10 years ago. And the school, 2004, I guess. Mm-hmm. And what did you do before that? So I, I should mention, you're in, in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Yes. Right. I actually, I, I started working with coffee in 2000 because I needed to pay for my tuition, psychology. That's my major. Mm. And then I just needed money, and that's how I got into coffee. And then I went to work for Ipanema. That was my first job mm. in coffee. And, and then when you started your company, like, what were you trying, why? Why did you start that? Because I needed to go on getting money, and then... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not poetical. I'm sorry. It's okay. I really wanted to be a psychology a psychologist up to 2012. That's when I I actually um, gave up on trying. But um, I I had to open the company because I, I I had an offer and then I had to open a company. But I was already teaching and giving giving training and consulting and said, okay, let's be a business person. I never wanted to be one. I was always afraid because my parents used to be. I mean, they are, no, my father. I mean, so that's how it happened. And then, because I, li- I like human beings, I like psychology, especially the ones with trouble and who are sad. I love them. I still do. <laughs> and maybe the way I did things it, they had to make sense for me. Otherwise, I, it wouldn't be fun. So it's, I think Coffee Labs is a, li- a lot about people as well. It's funny that you said that because it's about my relationship with my employees. That's very important to me. And my relationship with the producers whom I visit many times uh, every year. So some people might not know but if you're op- operating a specialty coffee company in Brazil, you can't import green coffee from other places. No, uh, we're, forbid to, we're forbidden to import coffee from other countries unless they're roasted. And wow. roasting is my favorite thing on earth. That's my speciality, I guess. And, and the challenge of, uh, because when I opened Coffee Lab and I said, okay, I won't be able to roast Kenyans or Ethiopians or those great Central Americas, how can I not be frustrated? Yeah. And then it's like it's, playing a piano with just like three keys, right? <laughs> uh, well, now, yeah, now you would I think guess, so. Yes, you might imagine right, so. Exactly. Right. And the challenge was, let's. I know there's there's more in Brazil. I know we can do better, and that's what we've been doing: developing the relationship with the producer so closely. And we've been getting great, amazing coffees, and I don't feel frustrated anymore. 
Yeah. I don't good. feel like having other coffees and more. F- I, and I'm I'm not uh, I'm not uh, trying to be nice here. I'm, yeah. It's true. Yeah, that's cool. So, <laughs> I mean, nice to Brazil at least. Yeah. So one of the things that I really wanted to highlight about you, your work and, and Coffee Lab is the idea that you know you have constraints and restrictions and challenges that you know we in the United States don't have when it comes to trying to run a coffee business. On top of that, of course, there's you know, politics and such and such. <laughs> you know, like me, I've heard, sometimes a little bit controversial figure in the local coffee scene. You know, what, so that said, like what you're trying to do at Coffee Lab, you know, how does that contrast with what you might think is like what other, everyone else is doing? I don't think I'm controversial. And I, I'm just... Um, but people make you feel that way sometimes. They do, yeah. yes. And sometimes I think it's because I'm a, I'm a woman in a very, sh- very male-oriented and chauvinist atmosphere. I just... I, I, maybe because I don't do things the way everybody else is doing, maybe. And then people like to see me or portray me as a controversial person. I'm... <laughs> I pay producers very high prices. Maybe, maybe that's controversial. Maybe it is. Uh, but very high prices. <laughs> and my employees get very great wages. And we're, we're, worried about, we're worried about the whole chain. And we educate a consumer. And we let them sit in the, their coffee. And that's fine. And we let them know that's fine. So we're... Um, anyway. So you talk about your producers that you work with. You know, again, like, you're in Brazil, and we're thinking about, like, we're imagining what that means. And then all of a sudden, when, when we were talking before, it, it hits you, oh my goodness, you don't import coffee then. How do you get green coffee, like, within the country? Like, how do you get it? Because it's not like everybody else in Brazil. I, I go to the farms and I go to the regions and they, they come up to me as well. So because if, before Coffee Lab started, I, I was already working with coffee and I was already working with the producers. So when I started Coffee Lab, which is the roastery, and it was not, never supposed to be a coffee shop. I always said I would never have a coffee shop. And I do now. <laughs> And so they, they, come, they come to me, and now I go to the regions where I, I, I spot there's great coffee, and I start working with the producers from the beginning. They don't know they have good coffee. Some, most of them sometimes don't know they even have good coffee. And it's, and it's hard because I look younger than I am. I'm a woman. And so it, the relationship with the producers can, can be challenging for them to trust me. So to make them trust me, it's, it's a handful. Thank God I'm a psychologist. <laughs> you, you mentioned that uh, you, didn't, you didn't mean to or plan to initially have a coffee shop. So let's see your coffee shop. Okay. okay? So we're going to play the video, and then can you describe what we're, we're seeing? Yes. Okay, so let's go to that video. Welcome to Coffee Lab. We're, we are a different... Uh, interior design atmosphere so we don't have a counter or a bar you can go to so when you get into coffee lab it's sort of 
uncomfortable, so we have to greet you like he, Ricardo is doing right now. We have to greet you and let you know that there's free water for you to serve yourself, as you're gonna see, yeah, now. And then we let uh, we give you the menu, and then we say you can sit anywhere you want. And then when you're ready to order, you go to the our kitchen and order. And the kitchen is open, so you go there and order, and then we take the order to you. That's how we work. And we pour uh, the brewing and the coffee at the table. We try to do everything at the table. This is our roastery. And we, you can walk through there. So all the customers, they walk through our coffee operation and our roasting operation. And I like that engagement. I, I love that. I, don't, I never want to lose that opportunity. So this is, you see, it's all open because I never wanted to have a coffee shop. So this is not a coffee shop. <laughs> it's, it's my lab. And so he, this is one of our baristas and he's explaining what we call our rituals. We have some tasting rituals in our menu so we can teach our, our customers the things that we professionals know, but in a fun way, in a ludical way. We like them to have fun, and they get to the conclusions that we, as professionals, have gotten ourselves. So, we like to have fun. Our social media is fun, sometimes too much, I guess. So this is the kitchen where you order, yeah. So she's taking the order, so we have a bigger staff because of the way we, we, we operate. We have to have more baristas. And we wear jumpsuits, and I love our uniform. I love it. Yeah, uh, upstairs is our, uh, it's where the classrooms are. This is our multi-gender uh, restroom. It's always, we stand for our values and beliefs, and we do it in our social media. This is one of the classrooms, and, and we have roasting classes, and we have barista and home brewing classes, and coffee drink classes. We, we had 1,600 students last year. Yeah, it's, we're very happy with our school. So these are all classrooms, we have four, and we have classes every day. And education is a huge part of our DNA. And that's why maybe we have those rituals in the menu, on the menu, because we, we, we need, we feel the need to, in a fun, oh, this is open lab. It's a, staff training that we open to our customers to come. So that's why it's open lab, but it's always a staff training. And what's, everyone wants to know, what's the best airport to fly into to go there? <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> from, uh, not from Brazil, Guarulhos, yes, it's the GRU airport. Yeah. GRU. yeah, so we don't have that much time. We could go on for hours just with the three of you, and, and it's been fantastic. We have yeah. about, about seven, eight minutes left. Um, I did want to mention, you know, again, we started out this particular panel talking about the idea that very often, as we talked about in our, in our earlier panel, um, Things feel constricted and things feel like bubbles sometimes. Things feel like the market is, is such that there's a lot of people trying to do the same sort of thing. Yeah. And so for this particular session, we were really trying to think about, well, what are examples or what are people who, who we can introduce to the, to the RICO audience here, to all of you, um, that are 
really doing something out, truly outside the box, not just like, oh, well, instead of the three-group espresso machine, we have a five-group espresso machine. Or, you know, instead of like this kind of wood, we have that kind of wood. Or like, we have, fast. you know, not, instead of everyone has a mustache, everyone has a beard, you know, kind of thing, um, which is a lot of the same sort of stuff. Like trying to think like, what are ways that, as we talked about yesterday, like really break outside that box? And so, Ian, for, for you, and we talked about this, Ian wasn't here yesterday, he was still traveling, but um, we talked, uh, and uh, especially um, in the earlier sessions yesterday, that uh, talking about other demographics that actually don't drink as much coffee, yeah. and that we can reach them. For you, in terms of Portland and diversity, like, as we saw in the video, a lot of people are seeking you out because it's a special place. And you've also had the chance through Deadstock and your work there, like travel the world and see a lot of other sort of places. Yeah. And so that all said, I'll put you on the spot, like how's that all come together? Like in what ways does looking at culture and race differently within the specialty coffee context provide a business opportunity for all of us? Yeah, well, I mean, b before I can change things, I have to understand where things currently are, right? So, so I have been blessed with lots of opportunities and have a lot of friends, uh, both in coffee and outside of coffee who do things all over the place. So I've had the opportunity to go out and actually see what coffee is like elsewhere. Um, very important to figure out what it was like in Portland before I could do anything. And uh, I don't know, about three, maybe four years ago, um, I was at Coffee Fest in Portland and I walked the show and I, it was right when I was first getting into the coffee thing. And I just remember a lot of people just looking at me and being like, Stop talking. Right. And you can't possibly be. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'm opening up a coffee shop. They're like, cool story. Uh, but then the person right in front of me, they gave them, oh, it's uh, compostable bags, uh, blah, 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 numbers. Because they looked the part. Because they looked the part, but I don't, I guess, right? So how come I can't get some words? How come you can't help me? Um, and that's a true story, by the way. So if you're in the crowd, you're bad. Because um, <laughs> your boy is popping right now. Because yeah. uh, <laughs> then I went to the next booth. They were very nice to me. And I'm like, cool, I'll take all of it. Like, let's, let's do it. Let's get it going, you know? Um, well, well it was let a me great interrupt product, real quick but. and just mention, that was one of those moments where if there was a camera phone recording that incident, <laughs> this and would it be got Starbucks posted on right social now. media, it'd be the same sort of thing. <laughs> and that's what we've been thing. talking a lot about. Like, yeah. It's not just one company. No, it's right. not. It's, 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 a, it's an industry as a whole, if yeah. we're being completely honest. Um, but yeah, I mean, coffee's given me and like, you know, sneakers and all this stuff give me an opportunity to go out and actually see what it's like elsewhere. Um, and shout out to social media as well. Um, but but that, that, that's important before I can go in and, and figure out how to change it. And, and again, like I'm just doing what I'm supposed to be doing. But what I'm supposed to be doing is like changing whatever it is. I'm not trying well, to change you, stuff. Well, I'm just trying doing, to make it a place where I feel, where, where we feel right. You're, you know, it's sort of cliche, but you're like being your authentic self. Like you're doing your thing the way that you know how. I'm like a but, real hipster. But like, and you, you know, <laughs> right. I mean, you and, I, you and I are good friends and you've shared with me, if you don't mind me sharing, oh, like yeah. sometimes the attention is overwhelming. It's like, yeah, it is. I don't want to be known as this outlier sort of miracle story sort of, sort of situation. You know, like have uh, them make a movie about you with Sandra Bullock or something. You know, like it, you, you don't want to be that. You just want to have a successful business that's known for the good things that you do. Yes. But at the same time, 
the fact, real, again, real talk, it's like you are an outlier in that sort of way. Yeah. But can, and can I, um, yeah. please, yeah. You said, I'm not trying to be special. Yeah, I'm just trying to be me. And that's the point. Mm. You're not trying to be whatever you, you think you have to be. You're just yeah. trying to be comfortable. And so yeah. are you. And so, and so are you. Yeah. And so is Nick. Exactly. And yeah. that's, yeah. that's what not mo a lot of us are doing in the coffee, especially coffee business, we're trying to be specialty coffee. What is it? We're so young. Why are, you, are, we, are we young? I mean, as an industry. So yeah. what is specialty coffee? So we have to be whatever it feels comfortable to express that. That's an expression mean. I mean, you're going to be expressing yourself and that specialty coffee better if you feel comfortable. Yeah. And yeah. not if you try to be something whatever. Yeah. Pam, um, again, it's just so exciting, <laughs> the work that you're doing. It's really something that, that I hope that you all tell other people about and, and Google them and see all the stuff and just bow down because they're really doing all that sort of stuff that you imagine that someone might be able to do someday, like they're doing that stuff, stuff today. I am really interested in your reflections here over the past couple days. We have... We tend to have an international audience and engagement for, for a RICO symposium, you know, for over the years. But generally speaking, on the producer level, uh, different producers from different countries. But, you know, you coming from Singapore obviously doesn't grow coffee. And seeing, the, you know, the sort of cultures, the, especially when it comes to some of the social things as, and as well as the business talk that we've been having. Um, what, is, what are your reflections in terms of how that's different from or very similar to your Singapore situation? <coughs> Um, I think we have a lot of similarities just because, you know, we're, we're, we're... Human beings. Human beings, yeah, generally. <laughs> uh, and and we're, we're a rich country, so consumer behavior is very similar. Um, but we're also, I think, um, like America, really in the hub of a lot of countries around us, right? So Singapore is actually in the middle of kind of Asia, right? And to me, I think Asia is where a lot of very specialty coffee growth and innovation and development is going to be in the next 10 years, right? So a lot of these conversations that we're having here, I think it's very important um, that that message goes globally around the world so that we can learn from each other and not repeat the mistakes that have been made. <clears throat> um, because at the end of the day, uh, we grow the global industry, that's a win for everybody, right? Um, so so I, I, I hope that you know, I can go back and, and share a lot more of what we've learned here uh, and say, okay, so these guys have been doing this for a lot longer, you know, 10 years, and, and what can we learn and how can we do it better and different um, and, and do it authentically, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Isabel, last question's for you. And again, you know, bringing you here and t talking about Coffee Lab and, the, and you know, uh, the amazing work that you're doing there. For me, it, the message here is really about um, trying to innovate where people have, seem to have run out of ideas. And so tell me, like, what are the guiding principles? Coffee Lab is a very, as you can see, for, obviously from the video, very unique cu customer experience. It's different from really anywhere else in the world. So what informed that? Like, what led to that for you? I ask that myself very often because 
if I want to replicate, I need to answer that to myself. Maybe because I love gastronomy. I've always loved gastronomy and cigars and all that you can taste. So coffee, especially in Brazil, some of you, I don't know if all of you know how bad our everyday coffee is in Brazil. And we talked about it yesterday, like, and then we I've take heard, yeah. the, this coffee and that's just domestic consumption. Right. It's really bad. <laughs> and so, what I, and I don't want to roast it darker just because people are used to. I don't want to do what people are used to, heavy. And so how can I, how can I not do it? So how can I just uh, make money doing whatever I, I, I feel like and I like and I know as a specialist? So I, ha I had to, to come up with ways to, to, to engage the audience without saying that what they have, have been doing so far was wrong. We have to respect people's repertoire and actually use it on our favor. And we don't say some words, for example, to the consumer. Like what? Like acidity. Acidity is a bad word for the consumer. In Brazil or do you think in general? General, but especially in Brazil. They get it confused. I mean, they don't know what acidity is. They don't know how to describe acidity. So we come up with ways to say the same thing and, and take the consumer's mind exactly to where we want and to actually for them to like that. Mm -hmm. And, and we, we actually have, we suggest the consumer. That's psychology. And that's using psychology, yeah. And in our favor, in their favor, actually, because they're, and we're not, that's, it's one, there's one thing that I think it's very important is to be welcoming. We have to be extremely nice yeah. as servers. I like service, so why should I be um, snob or serious? So this, it's just, um, and having the service at the table can actually um, engage the consumer even more. It's more expensive. It's, it, it requires a lot of training every day. For example, can I tell you one of the things we do? I know we're running out of time. It's when you go to the coffee lab and, and, and you ask for, you order an espresso, and we ask, is it the first time you have espresso here? And then you, obviously, if it is, you go like, yes. And then Why we, are you asking me this? Right. And then we just, and then you go back to your seat and then your place, and then we take to you the same espresso extracted in the same group, but with two different cups, a small one and a big one. That's so simple, but that's enough to well, make the consumer just be surprised. Why did you bring me two cups? I right. Ask, I only ordered one. And then if that person would just take that espresso thinking of the bill that they're gonna ha have to pay mm -hmm. later on or the date at the, uh, later on too, um, they're gonna pay attention to the cup in a nice way. So we just tell them to go through the, both cups and then they will realize that they, they taste different. It doesn't matter which one is gonna be the best. And actually, and so, these kind of things that we came up with make people pay attention. And to when they come back, then they know which one they want to order. Exactly, and, right. and so we have the big, the the big cuppers. Yeah. <laughs> already, a lot of them actually, because espresso do taste better in the right. big cup. Well, I wish we could keep Absolutely. going, but we're out of time. Thanks, Ian, Thank you Pam, so much. Yeah, thanks, Isabella. Man. Big round of applause for our panel. Thank you, guys. Thank you.
you know, again, we're not here to take any of these examples and say, now this should be the new, you know, exposed wood, brick, whatever wall trend in coffee, but to help sort of inspire folks, like what are those things, what are those, for those reasons that were shared, what are the things that we can bring out and innovate in our own ways? And thanks again. That was Isabella Raposieras, Ian Williams, Pamela Chang, and Nicholas Cho at Rico Symposium this past April. Remember to check our show notes to find a link to the YouTube video of this talk and a link to the speaker bios in the Rico website. So this was the final 2018 Rico podcast brought to you by the members of the Specialty Coffee Association and supported by Toddy. This is Peter Giuliano, and thanks for listening.